0: At home, turn us up. In your car, turn us on. At work, tell
1: others about Talking with Ms. T, the talk show that's giving you trending topics, noted news, interesting interviews, community updates, and so much more. It continues right now. Ms. T, she will do the talking. All you got to do is be a good listener.
0: I'm back once again and about to begin the show designed with you in mind. We chatter about what matters as we bring you the latest in trending news, hot topics, Interesting interviews, music, and more. This is Tanisha Baker, and you're talking with T. It's October 18th, and if today is your birthday, you share it with your birthday mates. Rock and roll superstar Chuck Berry, whose 1955 hit Maybelline was one of the first recorded rock songs, R&B singer Neo, actor John claude Van Damme, novelist Terry McMillan, actor Jordan Calloway, who I most recently enjoyed watching on the series Black Lightning, and actor Joseph Thomas Morton, who won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series for his role as Eli Pope, Olivia Pope's father, in Scandal. Today on the national calendar is National No Beard Day, Chocolate Cupcake Day, and Clean Out your virtual desktop day, which always falls on the third Monday in October. On this date in history, Bob Beeman set the world long jump record in 1968 at the Mexico City Olympics and the city of Baltimore, Maryland, became the new national headquarters for the NAACP on this date in 1986. And Barack Obama married Princeton and Harvard Law graduate Michelle Robinson on this date in 1992. The theme this month is face your fears and you're encouraged to let your faith be bigger than your fears. Tackle those things that you have been afraid to do. Do it even if you have to do it scared. The fears you don't face become your limits. Talking with T would love to feature your organization or business. Become a sponsor or advertise on the show. Let us help you reach more people and promote your brand service or product
1: business owners, church leaders, entrepreneurs, why not build your brand on Talking with T, your urban talk show designed to engage, educate, empower and encourage. Call today 865-409-1170 for more details or visit talkingwitht.com.
0: Let's turn our attention to my review of the news. Dr. Hayes Dixon becomes the first black woman dean of the Howard University College of Medicine in its 154-year history, which I must say is shown enough about time, especially for an HBCU. Applications are open for student loan debt relief. I did mine through studentaid.gov and it took less than five minutes. So I'm hoping all goes as planned and promised. Although every time I turn around, Either a state or lender is trying to sue Biden and prevent me from saving some coins. After Cuba Gooden Jr. has avoided prison time in his forcible touching case by complying with the terms of a conditional plea agreement where he pled guilty to charges involving just one of what prosecutors have said were allegations from at least 30 women. Some of the dozens of women who have accused him of groping, unwanted kissing, and other inappropriate behaviors criticized the outcome as a slap on the wrist and a slap in the face. Sadly, there were more shootings rocking communities across our country. A 20-year-old man was arrested in connection with a shooting this past Sunday near James Madison University in Virginia that injured eight people. Tyreef Isaiah Fleming, age 20 of Harrisonburg, was arrested on charges of attempted murder, aggravated malicious wounding, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and use of a firearm during the commission of a felony. Additional charges are expected. Then there was the tragic mass shooting by a 15-year-old in Raleigh, North Carolina, that killed five. And then, sadly, last Tuesday night, Jean McGuire was stabbed several times in Franklin Park. McGuire was the first Black woman elected to the Boston School Committee, the first Black social worker to work for Boston Public Schools, and a former director of the Metco desegregation program. According to CBS, McGuire, aged 91, was walking her dog when an unidentified person approached her and stabbed her five times. Police said McGuire's dog helped fight off the attacker. Unfortunately, the White House said earlier this month that there has been no progress in negotiations with Russian officials to release Griner, who was arrested this past February, at a Moscow airport. Russian officials said her release is not their priority. Our prayers are with NBA Hall of Famer Dikembe Mutombo, who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. The 56-year-old former center is currently undergoing treatment in Atlanta. Jackson, Mississippi, has spent much of the fall dealing with unsafe drinking water or having no water at all as a result of an outdated water infrastructure. Adding insult to injury, many residents are complaining that the city has sent them sky-high water bills despite everything they've gone through. City officials have defended the accuracy of their billing amid concerns among residents of the majority black city that newly installed water meters are faulty. One resident, Virginia Evans, was shocked when she received a water bill for nearly $4,000. I probably don't have to even say this, but the University of Tennessee Balls football team remains undefeated this season and beat the University of Alabama, breaking a 15-game losing streak to the powerful opponent. Ball fans acted in rare form, removing not one but both goalposts and tossing them into the Tennessee River. And listen. I will not be donating to a GoFundMe, a foundation, or none of that to replace those goalposts. And listeners, I need anybody to explain to me why I am still reading about Hershel Walker running for anything but a touchdown. Keep it where it's at. I'll be right back with an interview I had a while back with a local domestic violence survivor. (laughs)
1: Said they were gonna treat me like I ain't gonna let you Cause I let you slide before But I see you ain't gonna learn So you like to play with
0: I want to share an interview done last year from a survivor. Everything said in this interview is still relevant, so I thought it fitting to bring it back to the TWT listeners.
2: Rhonda, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. I appreciate your willingness to share your story and your courage. So let's just start off first, if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about yourself. I know you're not originally from Knoxville.
3: Well, thank you first for having me today. And yes, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, lived there for 47 years. I relocated down to Knoxville about five years ago this January.
2: Okay. All right. And what brought you to Knoxville?
3: Well, I was dating this really wonderful guy who lived in Atlanta, got a job in Knoxville, and when we decided to get married, I decided that Knoxville was a much more family-friendly town and a better place to raise my Adolescent son at that he was ten at that time. Then the South Side of Chicago would be.
2: All right, and I think um, much of the listening audience is probably familiar with this wonderful man because you're married to Brian Clay, our jazz musician yes, right. artist. So yes, right. So, but preceding that, um, there was a stormy part of your life that you were able to to escape when you left Chicago, and so I mentioned that I was reading a magazine article. The Gathering Magazine, by it being Domestic Violence Month. And as I was reading this powerful story and got to the end of the story, I realized that it was actually your story. And so if you could share with our listeners a little bit about that, because I think we stereotype or have some type of preconceived ideas about what an abused woman looks like. And so if you could share a little bit about that.
3: Sure, I'd love to. Um, I am a domestic violence survivor. When in my first marriage, I start off the article by saying it shouldn't have been me. One of the things that I talk about when I say it, when I talk about domestic violence, is that it has no no boundaries, no limits. It doesn't mind socioeconomic class, it doesn't mind color or race or even gender sometimes. But when I was starting out in my career, mid-30s, I was what we would call your upper middle class, a husband, two kids, a dog, two cars, you know, the whole scene that people wouldn't necessarily believe would be a domestic, an abused person. And the abuse in my marriage started off mostly with um, verbal, verbally, because I was very successful and things like that. And my ex-husband would get jealous when other people would look at me and say, you shouldn't be so pretty, you shouldn't be so outspoken. And and those kind of things, the actual the things that actually attracted me to them. Um And okay, as we went did. through,
2: the... we because you mentioned the verbal abuse, is mm-hmm. that a warning sign sometimes? or often?
3: Yes, very often. The beginning of abuse is the controlling situation. Abusers like to be in complete control. They like for their victims to know, to think that they are in control of everything and that that person has no value outside of that relationship. And they work very hard to impress that and, and drill that into your head.
2: Okay. Okay. So go ahead with your story. So you started off with the verbal abuse, um, and yes. the controlling, and that stemmed from a little jealousy. And I guess when we think about powerful women and professional women, we don't think, oh, they would allow themselves to be abused. But actually, that was one of the things that kind of um, sparked the abuse.
3: It did. And it, it's over a period of time that abusers pull you away from, from your supporters, from your family, from your friends and isolate you. Isolation is the beginning of it. Okay. so that You don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of and say, is this right or is this wrong? So they tend to isolate people. And there, there came a time when I was sitting on the bed feeding my child, my son who was about six months old at the time, and we were having an argument about him going out, and he threw something at me while I was feeding my child and told me if I was there, when, not if. When he came home, he was going out, which I didn't want him to do. But when he came home, he was going to deal with me and beat my behind when he got home because I was being, I was trying to keep him from going out.
2: Did you believe him?
3: Oh, yes. Most okay. definitely. Okay. Most definitely. Not, he, prior to that, he there had been just a little pushing, but no real physical abuse. Okay. But yes, I definitely believed him. I believed him enough to pack up a bag with my son's clothes and grab a couple of my things and leave the house and kind of go into hiding.
2: Okay. How long were you in hiding?
3: Well, I hid out for about about a week okay. before I actually um, got up the nerve to tell my mother that I had left. Um, I was hiding out in a, ho- got a hotel room and kind of was hiding out there. And I finally got up the nerve to tell my mom that I had left. And why? Because you know, when you're in that situation, um, I felt I can't say it for anyone else, I felt very embarrassed that I had allowed myself to be in the situation. And that's one of the things that happens with domestic violence victims. They tend to blame themselves when indeed there's really nothing that they've done to cause the situation. Okay. And so you left. Mhm. I reached out to my mom and I was able to stay um between my mom's house, um, and with a friend for a while, and actually one of my friends who is in real estate had a house that she had purchased and told me that my son and I could move into there. Um, it was a very nice house and a very nice neighborhood in Chicago. And so my son and I moved into there, but that was when the stalking began. Because um, I was
2: wondering what had he been doing all of this time while you were kind of hanging, you know, staying with your mom and staying with your friends.
3: When I stayed with people, he would stalk, but he never never did anything physical or threatening when there were other people around because there were witnesses. Okay. When I moved into the house by myself this when the stalking started and the um, threatening phone calls and things like that. And until one morning, I mean, he would call and call and call and call where I wouldn't answer. And so one night I decided to spend the night with a girlfriend um, just so that I wouldn't have to be worried about him driving in front of my house or creeping through my yard. A couple times my neighbors called me to tell me that someone was in my backyard, and it would usually be him. Has the police Um, been involved at this point? um, Not at that point. Okay. Um, Until the night I spent the night with my girlfriend, and it was a Saturday. We had gone shopping, and I just stayed at her house so that I wouldn't have to worry about him coming over or doing anything. And that morning when she dropped me off is when he jumped out of the bushes and attacked me when I was trying to go into the house. And she was Um, still there or no? Yes, she was still there. She was in the house with the kids. I had forgotten and gone back to the car to get a bag out of the car. So I was by myself coming back up to the house. But when she heard what was going on, she called the police um, and was trying to Help get me away. And when the police came, um, during our struggle, I guess he had dropped his keys. So when the police came, he was calling me, telling me I need my keys. And I let him talk to the police. And they said, oh, you should um, come back and, and get your keys because we had issued a warrant for his arrest. But he never ended up doing that. So I ended up having to get an order of protection. Um, which is a very difficult process, at least it was at the time in Chicago. You have to go down to the domestic violence courthouse and file, and it took a very long time to do. And I was sitting there in pain at that time, but still had to stay until it got done. He didn't get served with order of protection for a couple of weeks. And one of the things about an order of protection is until that person has been served with it, it cannot be in full effect. They have to have been Okay, I'm
2: sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to mention or bring back up again the issue of order of protection. Because I Mm -hmm. heard often that either, like you mentioned, they take too long to get, or they do little good with someone who is really intent on doing you harm. So you were able to get it, but it took two weeks for him to be served. To be
3: served, yes. Mm -hmm. Because they have to be served by an officer of the court. Okay. They have to walk up to the person and say, are you this person? You have been served. And then that way they know. Um, and many people do say that it's, it's difficult once you have it. I mean, he told me many times the order of protection was what he was going to leave on my dead body so that they could identify me. Mm-hmm. But it's very important to get because the second time that he was arrested and was held for a week, it was because he violated that order of protection. Okay. The one thing you have to do when you get the order of protection, you have to exercise it. I gave it to my HR department at work. I gave it to the security people at work. I had one in my car. I had one in my girlfriend's car. I had one in my desk. I had it with me at all times because you have to have it with you so that you can indicate if someone shows up that, yes, they are in violation of an acting order protection. So you have to keep that with you and stay vigilant.
2: Okay. So you can't be wishy-washy with it. Once you get it, you have to mean it. Yes. Okay.
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh And it's hard. I mean, you're pressing charges and and doing things against someone that, I mean, you love. Obviously, I love this person. I married them. I have a child with them. So there is some part of them that I cared about. But part of um, what I, when I say I left, I left because I had a son and I did not want to continue this cycle of abuse. I did not want him to grow up seeing his mother being abused. I wanted him to grow up if he saw his mother in a relationship that it was a loving, caring relationship. And that is what I wanted to model for him.
2: Earlier in the show, I mentioned a statistic that said that young boys who are in abusive homes and witness that are twice as likely to become abusers themselves. So Mm -hmm. I think that it was a very courageous and wise move to, even though it was hard, to remove your son from that type of environment.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is true. And that is one of the things that happened with my ex-husband. He grew up in a home where there was abuse. We attempted to deal with that in premarital counseling. We talked about it. Myself, my pastor, we thought he was in a place where he understood that that was unacceptable. But I guess when you get pushed up against the wall, that's where you go. And I must say this also, for women, when you leave, when the person decides to leave, is when they are in the most danger. Right. It is at that time that an abuser feels like their control is slipping. And so when you attempt to extricate yourself from a situation, that is the most dangerous time for women who are being abused.
2: Okay. So do you have any words of advice being on the other side of it and actually surviving this type of situation? Do you have advice for any of the listeners who may be going through it themselves or know someone who is?
3: um, Yes. if If you're in a situation, have a plan. Um, I can't tell you how important that is because, like I said, that's the most dangerous time. So you can't get stuck saying, oh, i got to go back and get my driver's license. Oh, I need my keys. Have a plan. Have a bag. We call them a go bag. Have a go bag that has clothes, that has your birth certificate, that has anything that is vital, checkbooks or checking account numbers, anything that you might need if you have to go away and never come back. Um, have a go-bag, have that. Some people have it stashed in the trunk of their car. Um, Some people have it stashed, you know, not where someone can find it, but where you can just grab it and go. Have emergency money in there. Some women that I've been on panels with or talked to who are in situations where their husband controlled all their money, Mm. so they had to, any credit cards or anything, because if you leave and they cut off the credit cards, you have no access to funds. So have a little bit of ready cash in there, so that, one, you can have cash, or two, if you're using your credit card, you can't trace it and find out where you are. So um, have a go-bag, have a plan. There are so many um, agencies and places that you can call. There's a National Domestic Violence Hotline number that you can call. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of uh, beds available for women in this situation. You know, that's
2: another I read, that there are about 1,500 This is across the country, domestic violence shelters compared to 3,800 animal shelters. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. as many places to go, so I don't know what that says about society. But I am going to share some information on the website following the show uh, for those who may be interested in following up a little bit more and getting more information on it.
3: Yeah. Um, The National Domestic Violence Hotline, um, their website is... Just www.thehotline dot org and um, you can call their hotline number, which is 800-799-SAFE, the word SAFE. Okay. And they can get you to a local shelter. They can direct you to a local shelter, give you ideas, um, uh, and help you out that way. One of the good things about, or especially the national hotline, is if you're looking them up online, they have an escape key. So that if you click on that, if someone comes up behind you, you don't want them to know that you've been looking at this domestic violence hotline, they have a clip something that you can click on that takes you to something that is just totally, totally innocuous, doesn't have anything to do with domestic violence or anything, and you can't trace back to that hotline, oh. just so that people know. And if you suspect one of the things, if you suspect that someone is in a, a domestic, a, a, an abusive relationship, the best thing that you can do for them is tell them that you care and listen. But do not judge. Do not ask them why are you still there? Because oftentimes that's something they're asking themselves and they're blaming themselves. So don't help them blame themselves. Offer them a way out. The people that were most helpful to me would listen and just say, I have a place for you if you need to go. Oftentimes people are afraid to help because they don't want to get quote unquote get involved. But definitely never never blame because believe me, that person is assigning enough blame to themselves for being in that situation and not having the courage to get out.
2: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on Talking with T today. So thanks again for being on the show today, and I'll talk to you soon.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Talking with T, your urban talk show. The show designed with you in mind. And we would love to connect with you right now on social media. All things talking with T. And you can listen to the show 24 7, 365 on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Now, on that note, T will end with a quote Attract what you expect,
0: reflect what you desire become what you respect, mirror what you admire. Remember where you heard the word. Keep being kind until next time. You've been listening to Talking With T.